0: Hello, friends. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of What's the Recipe podcast. I'm glad you're here. I wanted to come on here up front and give a quick disclaimer that this episode does contain sensitive content of sexual abuse and self-harm. So please listen with caution. And if you need to skip this episode, we will see you next week. This episode of What's the Recipe is brought to you by Hooch Booch, a woman owned hard kombucha company founded right here in Denver, Colorado, by our dear friend Anna Zesbaugh. In March of 2020, the mayor of Denver declared liquor stores non-essential businesses and ordered them to close to prevent the spread of COVID. Inspired by the time and the eerie similarities to the 1920s prohibition, Anna couldn't get hooch and booch out of her head. And thus, daydreams turned into business plans, and Hooch Booch was born. Hooch Booch combines the mystique of classic cocktail flavors with the probiotic benefits of her kombucha to create a beverage that is both refined and refreshing. And because today's episode is all about sobriety, I need to talk about Hooch Booch's non-alcoholic beverage called Corpse Reviver. This is their electrolyte elixir that is meant to raise your spirits without any spirits at all. It's a delicious botanical yet palatable elixir that utilizes the power of electrolytes combined with Rocky Mountain spring water and it's a great way to have a fun beverage without the effects of alcohol. Or if you're on your sober journey, it's a perfect way to spice up your day and nourish your body with electrolytes. If you're watching on YouTube, you'd notice that we're actually recording in Blind Tiger right now. Candace actually had an event here the other day and it's a really cool vibe. So if you're local to Denver, you can come into blind tiger and use code recipe for 20% off of your first drink or all merch, which you'll see kind of like around here. Or if you're not local, you can go to drinkhoochbooch.com and use code recipe for merch and their corpse driver. So cheers. We love you. Hoochbooch. You really got through and that And we one. love your zero proof options. Yes. <laughs> the
1: longest sponsorship, uh, <laughs> <laughs> card reading of all time. That
0: was a doozy. Okay. We have our lovely guest, Candice, and I'm going to give you a formal intro. I pulled this from your website. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Candace Falls is a breathwork facilitator, energy worker, and entrepreneur that incorporates their formative life experiences into their work. She was also both Lucas and I's coach, me for more business things, him for sobriety. Um, and we'll get more into that in this episode, but she aims to create and facilitate a space for authentic healing, connection, and levity through coaching and scream work. Candice's mission is to encourage others to cultivate their own paths to healing while offering their own experiences and method, methods as a guide. And she's also been soberish for, what, like seven-ish years now? Yep. And she has a really cool, inspiring story, so let's just get the fuck into it. Let's just start. <laughs> thank let's you for being in. here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I want to share your story and kind of tell us how you got into, as all of my my cards just fall off my lap, tell us about how you got into... Sobriety coaching and just the coaching world in general? Um, how I got into sobriety, sobriety
2: coaching uh, is from Lucas, actually. <laughs> uh,
1: You're looking at client number one right here.
2: <laughs> was I your first business client, too? Yes. Yeah. 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 So you guys were uh, oh. my first. Um, and it's funny because everything coaching um, always kind of like was eerie to me before
0: mm-hmm. um, oh actually before meeting you. When I first walked into the door, Candace was like, I absolutely hate that word. <laughs> She's like I hate the word coach. I'll never be called a coach.
1: Why yeah. is that? What made
0: Um I
2: think I was seeing how some people in the industry were be- being taken advantage of. And I still had, um, around sobriety in, um, in particular, had this, like, brainwashing around, like, you could go to AA and you could get help for free, so yeah. why would you pay to have um, somebody help you? True. And I had to, like, really sit with my own morals of, like, oh, do I feel like I can charge for this? Um, and I would, like, see coaches that had, like, these um, really... Expensive packages and I'm like, what are they getting? And I would even interview coaches like maybe I want to coach I'm like tell me what I'm getting and they couldn't explain it, right? So I started like kind of have my own judgments against the industry
0: You have a crazy story.
1: I think we should also dive into like you weren't we're in Colorado right now Where were you raised?
0: Uh, Tacoma, Washington.
1: Okay, so Tacoma, Washington. Yeah, okay Let's start from like your childhood. Let's start there. Yeah Um, And then you can kind of just give us the rundown
2: Yeah, I think it is important to start there. Um, As I continue to do this work and learn about how early child development really impacts the choices you make as a teenager and as a young adult, um, I've been able to forgive myself for some of those things like addiction and teen pregnancy and stuff like that. So I grew up in an alcoholic home. Um, Both parents were alcoholics, step-parents were alcoholics and drug addicts. And um, it was a pretty hostile home environment. Um, there's this test called the ACE score and it's a testing system that they, um, give, like if you've had these kind of abuses in childhood, you're more likely to suffer with these things in your adulthood. Right. And, um, there's like 11 questions on it and I've had 10 of the 11. So, um, a really high score. So I've learned now that the percentages of going through the kind of abuse that I went through, um, I was abused, um, in every way, um, in my home and, uh, particularly, Um, I think at the hands of my stepfather, which I think has a lot to do with the decisions I made in early teenage um, years and adulthood. Um, and I always like to talk about the ACE score because, um, once I found that I like forgave myself so deeply for the choices I made. So I was the oldest of four girls. I as soon as I had siblings, I felt my job was to protect them from what was going on in my house. So I thought if I endured the abuse, then I would kind of stop them. I would kind of um, try to make things better so they would maybe go through less. And um, I was so determined that I was never going to drink. I was never going to do drugs. I was like one of those kids, like I'm never going to do what my parents are doing. And then when I turned 14 years old, I was just like, Forget all that. I want to go and escape this household. That was kind of also when the sexual assault um, in my home started. And um, so as a way to escape, I would go and drink and use with friends. Right. Um, And everyone around me was drinking and using the same way. So it didn't seem problematic as a teenager. Like that's kind of what we did. Um, And then when I was 17 years old, I got pregnant with my daughter. And as soon as I got pregnant, I reverted back to that idea that I'm not going to drink or use drugs. I'm going to do something different. Like I was so determined to create a different life for her than I experienced. Um, so I was pretty like square, um, during my pregnancy and like her first years of life. Did you know right away you wanted to keep her? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So actually, um, my first pregnancy was at 14 and, um, I had this like belief that, um, like I had an abortion and I thought that, um, you know, God was only gonna give me one get out of jail free card. And at 17, I knew I'd have her at 18. I was like, well, I'm gonna be an adult and I yeah. need to deal with the consequence of my actions. I now have an 18 year old daughter, and I'm like, <laughs> 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 uh, you're like a whoa. So I knew I was gonna have her right away. Um, I kind of always knew I was going to be like a single mom somehow in my life. Um,
0: as well, you're also child. a very intuitive person, and we'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. So I kind of just like knew. Um, and actually, looking back now, I'm really grateful that I did. I think she kept me out of a lot of the addiction stuff. I think I would have um, got a lot deeper, a lot quicker. But I was like, I'm so strong-willed that I was like, I'm going to do things different.
1: How long did that last after um, after having your daughter you know you 're eighteen years old, and like you said, you almost like became like a square, yeah, yeah, you really went into not drinking into not doing drugs, then you started working right, yeah. you got a job and you were really good at, yeah you're really successful,
2: yeah, so work was definitely my addiction after having her. I thought if I provided for her financially, then I would somehow not be a statistic of the teen moms like. I don't, um, some of the like horrific things about being a teen mom is like going and getting state benefits. And that's
0: my question. Like walk me, I I want to even be walked through like what does it look like? You have a baby at 18, you're a single mom where are you living like how are you do you have a job how are you taking care of a newborn and working and like walk us through that
2: um i lived at home i lived in my childhood home um until she was about a year old um i then moved in with her no maybe like six to eight months old and then i moved in with her dad and we tried one more time right Uh, he fell into a really deep addiction um, by that time I was working at Valley's as a personal trainer. And so I actually created my whole schedule around his like addiction.
1: What was his drug of choice? Um, Oxycontin. Mm.
2: Um, and so I would wake up and have clients from five to nine. I'd wake her up as a baby, get her ready for the day and then put her back for her nap, go have clients while she was napping. Um, cause her dad would just pretty much be passed out come home, wake her up, be with her during the midday and then go back for night clients. Um, At that time, his addiction was really bad. So he was like stealing my paychecks and like pawning everything. So every time I got paid, I would go to like Walmart and I would buy furniture and I would put it in a storage unit. And then I would take the rest of my check and go get a Safeway gift card um, for groceries because he couldn't like steal that. And then a gas gift card and just have no money on me um, in between each paycheck until I was able to save up and get my own apartment with me in Brooklyn. Whoa.
1: And I feel like that's that's so interesting, you know, finding ways to cope with, you know, your partner at the time's mm-hmm. addiction. Yeah. Because you knew you couldn't have money on hand. And I feel like a lot of people do that. Yeah. You know, who, you know, love someone who is addicted takes them for who they are and then comes up with these like tactics to, you know, almost like outsmart them.
2: Yeah. You yep. know, and
1: that's what you were doing. Was this in Washington? Yep,
2: yep. And it's funny because as we're talking about, I remember my grandma saying she did something similar with my grandpa's paychecks and like hiding them under floorboards so he couldn't drink. Mm. I totally forgot about that until we are talking about this. So like the generational survivalness, yeah. uh, survivalness. And like my sister in, at the time was in high school and she would come after school and check on Brooklyn while I was with Cl- You just like set up this yeah. whole ecosystem around somebody's addiction. Right. So I hated pain pills, opiates. Um, I was like fighting with his like plugs. You like, if you come to my house again, right? you know, just like, it was insanity. So I was very against all of that. Um, I would maybe like go out drinking with friends at that time every once in a while, but it was never anything crazy. Yeah.
1: How did you know your second, like your second time trying with him? He's a full blown addict. Like, where did you go from there? Was it a big, was there like a big moment where you were like, I need to get out of Washington or
2: no, no. So we didn't move. I had, I didn't move here until about, um, three years ago, but I did just, I got my own place and, um, he kind of started falling away too quickly with that. So he kind of disappeared also. So really? it wasn't like this. It wasn't like a decision you had to really make. Yeah. It was like, I mean, once I moved into my own apartment, right. it was, that was that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I said, I was just, I worked, I worked all the time. I got her into daycare and my family would help, um, watch her after daycare. And I was just obsessed with like providing for her financially, um, which is how I ended up getting addicted to pain medicine is I think I had like some IUD pain or something. And the doctor had given me some Vicodin and I took one and I went to work and I was on like, I'm in sales. Lucas understands sales like totally. on. I was on. I was closing everything. Um, I was able to go home, meal prep, take her to PTA. I was able to do it all. Like it was like th- this magic pill, and I knew I didn't want to be an addict like her dad. So, but I n- knew I was going to like need this solution. Mm. Like it was. So I was like, my addiction didn't get like as crazy as sometimes other people's were, Cause I was like, this has to be sustainable. Right. So I can't be like nodding out. You're or an extremely
1: functioning addict. Yeah. yeah. Which is where I sort of found myself as well. Right. And we'll get into that. But so Vicodin. Okay. So it was like a, you know, IUD pain you go in, how old were you at that time?
2: Um, I think my addiction started when I was about 26,
1: 26.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, okay.
0: Walk me through though. When did you get this job? What job the the
2: the sales job. Oh, um I went to school so right after I had Brooklyn, I went to school to be a personal trainer. Okay um no background in sports or anything this class just started really soon and i needed to figure out like a career i was supposed to go to school do hair and so i went to you, would
1: you work out like regularly before yeah. that no. no that's so <laughs> no. interesting
2: i was just you're like, like yo i just need
1: to figure this out
2: yeah like i was like I can do it. okay sales get sold the worst so i went to tour the school and i'm like i'm in Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, and i like worked at like a tanning salon on the weekends open to close and sold like tanning lotions <laughs> and um so then right out of school I got the job at Bally's. Um I figured out that I was really good at sales pretty quickly and they just kept like promoting me, promoting me, promoting me. Um so I just really outworked everybody and And yeah. then your addiction comes in when you were working there? Um I was at another gym.
0: Okay. Yeah. But yeah, basically that same industry. Okay. So walk us through then the addiction came before the cancer? Yes. Okay. Tell me that whole story. Like-
2: so, um, I, so I get on pain pills. I try to manage and control it myself. Um, I end up getting a job at Boeing. Um, I'm making great money. Um, How life- did
0: you get that job?
2: Uh, Brooklyn's grandma, uh, her dad's mom knew someone there and because they were looking for somebody with the healthy eating initiative stuff and I had the fitness background, it was like kind of a perfect fit. Um, and, but my addiction started like to really progress. I was always trying to like quit all the time. So Mm. I was like withdrawing or, um, I got on what they call Suboxone to help me get off of pain meds, but that like took my addiction even further. Mm. Why, Um, why
1: is that? It, it's so interesting to me how they'll give you, like, another pill to get off of being addicted to, an, like, another pill. Yeah, it,
2: well... And I mean, how
1: how would that make your addiction more intense?
2: For me, because I was on such a low amount. So I really believe in, like, that kind of process, like, Suboxone, if people need it. Like, whatever they need to make their life better and like right. whatever path that they need, um, I support. But for me, I was only taking such a low amount that the amount of Suboxone was, like, higher than probably what I was taking um, of the pain pills.
1: So you were on such a low amount of pain pills mm-hmm. and then this high dose of Suboxone. Yeah, Gotcha. Yeah,
2: yeah. And then that was really hard to get off of. Um, and I was like, oh, if I fuck up with the doctor, then I won't be able to go back and then I'll get off of it. So things took a turn for the worse after that.
0: So when your addiction starts, when are you going to like, when do you have the awareness of like, oh, this is a problem? And i need to seek help is it you go to a immediately and like when did that happen
2: so no i um was working at boeing i was um like i said i was trying to get off the suboxone um and i was like then getting methadone from a methadone clinic like somebody brooklyn had a family member that went i was buying it off of her and um it just got like really dark um but what was also happening happening simultaneously is the memories from childhood started flooding back in. I was Mm. getting older. So at this point I'm, um, 28. Um, I tell my best friend for the first time about the abuse that my stepdad did. And, um, it's starting to like come to the surface and I'm like starting to realize how horrific it was my daughter's almost 10 right I'm like I can't keep going around him I can't keep going around there like I can't keep the secret anymore and then it was on my 29th birthday that I was driving um, to my parents house and something just came over me and I was like I have to t- say it today I can't go there and do this fake ass birthday one more time like I need to tell the truth and I called my best friend and she's like do you want to wait till tomorrow like, right it's your birthday really- <laughs> yeah it's your birthday you'll and never I, like, forget at the 29th uh,
1: that's for sure yeah it's a big year for you
2: so then and I'm like no I can't I have to do it today um so I ended up telling um telling on my 29th birthday and I had some fears around that my mom had been sober for 13 years and I thought that if I told she was going to relapse mm. I thought um she might try to harm herself and I thought that my sisters would hate me and and
1: we're at that point Were was your mom and your stepdad who was abusing you were they in like a healthy relationship a healthy I, marriage
2: Healthy-ish. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, like, and you went
1: straight to her when you got home? Like when you got... I didn't
2: make it there. I was like, hey, will you meet me at my best friend's mm-hmm. house? I have to tell you something. And it it was horrific. She did relapse. Um, and she did try to harm herself. And um, like everything blew up. So a week did later... Did she believe you? Um, yeah, he admitted it. Okay.
1: He did. Yeah. Wow.
2: Okay. He, he he admitted it right away. Um. Now he he wanted to like argue some semant- semantics about it or whatever. Um. But so there was no like not believing me because he said he said it. Um. And. Then a week later, I was like, "Also, I'm on drugs, so I'm going to go to rehab."
1: <laughs> so that, so, there, so, so that situation didn't make you turn and do more drugs. That's when you, you know, made one huge decision for your life. So you kind of were like, "I'm going to make another big decision." Is that well, kind of how? Well, not
2: it, until like after a week of hell. So I think right. I, t- I told on the 12th. I went to rehab on the 18th. So that week I was doing reckless things like I hadn't done in my um, addiction. Like I remember one night specifically, I was like out drinking and this guy was like, do you want to go to my hotel and do some cocaine or whatever? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I had this thought of like, he could kill me. And the next thought was like, I hope he does. Hmm. And it was the next day that I went to rehab.
1: That's when you know you're at a low point, huh? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So what was rehab like? How long were you there? It was the best summer camp
2: <laughs> I've ever been to, and I highly suggest everyone go. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, it was, I mean, like, this huge secret was open to the world. Now. Which I'm
1: sure was really relieving for you. Yeah, You know, yeah. you had this 100-pound or 500-pound gorilla on your back. Yeah. You know.
2: Not as relieving as you would think because... Um, I was so scared of how it would
0: harm others. Mm. Right. And then and your reality, sh- your entire reality. Shows. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I was very, very concerned about my sisters. Uh, it was their father. Uh, gotcha. I was, yeah. And, um, you know, and then for them to also find out I was on drugs and I felt like a disappointment. Um, how did they take it? Uh, hard, hard. Yeah. And, um, so I, so rehab was
0: good cause it was also an
2: escape from all that. Right.
0: Um, I'm okay. Cause I think a lot of people probably have really hard conversations to have and have secrets, whether they're big, small, whatever. And it's all, it's also like, when is the right time? Like, how do I know when to say it for you? Was it really just like this big knowing of like, I have to say this. Like yep. it's just, there was no like confidence that you had to build up. It was just like, I have to. Yeah. It, I can't go another second. Cause I can't bring my daughter around
2: there anymore. And I don't, I'm going to, I just have to say it. Mm. Plus, I think the addiction, I was just at such a rock
0: bottom.
1: There right. was,
2: like, nothing else to do mm. um, except to do
0: that. Yeah. And did, But did you know at the time, like, this was your way of trying to get better? Or was it just, like, something you thought it, you Grasping to... at straws. Grasping at straws. Yeah.
1: So this rehab um, situation, was it, like, a rehab that was far away? Were you far away from your daughter? How did you... Um, navigate that
2: it was like 45 minutes away um i uh, my aunt helped me get into it Um, and at this
1: point uh brooklyn is 10 yeah so she's smart she knows what's going on did you also tell her all of this situation no
2: um her grandparents really stepped in during that time and were helping take care of her and um so i was like i'm just gonna go away to get better Mm. um once i got out or maybe on a family visit i told her um, and, um, yeah, she was really disappointed cause you know, like I said, her dad had been going through addiction her whole life, so yeah. she did know what addiction was and right. it, it scared her to hear Did that. she have any idea though you were on it when you were on it? No, she thought it was just like really sad. She mm-hmm. just like knew it was really sad and she could tell something was wrong, but she didn't know it was, um, drugs mm-hmm. just cause I was performing life right. well, still. Right. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And was the rehab process long? Was it like a 30 day yeah. thing? Was it a 60 day thing? It was a
2: 30 day thing. Um, it was co-ed, it was like a cheap rehab center and you're um, staying in a building, you yep. have a room, you have do a you roommate. have a roommate? Yep. Um, do you
1: still know your rehab roommate today?
2: Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do. And it's funny, her uh, ex-husband at the time, like, came in to visit her and, like, me and him are still, like, best Mm. friends. He's, like, Brooklyn's godfather, essentially. Um,
1: What was the day-to-day like in, in like, an, what, that would be an inpatient rehab Mm -hmm. facility center?
2: Yeah, it was nice. You got up, you went to, like, meditation. Did you have your phone at all? uh, No. No, you went to breakfast, you went to like group classes, you went to, but this thing happens when like you're in such a dark place and then you're in this like rehab with all these people that have a similar story and the similar thing. It's like summer camp. Yeah. Like we're just laughing so hard. Like, yo,
1: tell me how you got fucked up. I bet you didn't get as fucked up as I did. Exactly. It was,
2: it was a lot of fun. Um, you smoke a lot of cigarettes. I didn't even smoke cigarettes and then I'm in rehab and I'm like, ain't smoking cigarettes. (laughs) uh why is that why do people get into cigarettes i think it's just like it's something to do there yeah like all the cool kids outside were doing it and <laughs> yeah. we wanted to hang out with them, so you better also smoke
1: all the bad kids are doing it yeah but i guess in yeah. this situation everyone and, it, was-
2: and you like test rules like you're in you know just like yeah. i remember like grabbing the mic like people would be line up and i'd be like attention lakeside campers <laughs> like it just all the time getting in trouble and did did you
1: almost feel like a little kid again yeah
2: yeah. i mean i was just so free from not having to meet a dealer every day have these secrets that no one knew about it was just like it was free i was honest for the first time in a long time um and it was just a break someone was taking care of me for Mm -hmm. once like i was just being cared for Mm -hmm. Um, what was
1: what was the most impactful moment for you during your 30 days at that rehab facility so, uh, was it more so like, um, the honesty part or yeah. was it more so connecting with other people who were in a similar situation than you and, and feeling like you weren't necessarily alone and, you know, cause I feel like in that, in that situation, it's easy to feel like a piece of shit. Yep. It's easy to feel like, Wow. Like I'm I'm sure, also not
0: everyone is is there on their own will, right? No,
2: no, no. And so that like this is definitely like my experience was like that. But I would say the honesty part and like connecting with others and like knowing um, you're not alone in it, you're not the only one going through it. And um, the similarities in stories, I would say. But also just, like, not having secrets for me. Mm -hmm. Like, telling the truth for the first time. Like, I just lived with those things for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the most impactful things is um, there's this woman named Marilyn. And she was the nighttime... like she worked at the front desk at the nighttime. I was coming off methadone, so I had to lie to get into rehab because they don't take people off methadone because the withdrawals are so bad. Hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'm not on that then. So what
1: are what what do, what are bad withdrawals? Um, like what?
2: on day 15, I had to go to the ER because one of my pupils was small and was huge, and they thought I was having a stroke. Like it was like just Whoa. horrific. Um, and so I I didn't sleep for like weeks the first few weeks and so at nighttime i'd want to leave and i would go talk to her and i'd be like i just want to take a bath and they didn't have baths and she would let me take a shower in the like nursing shower um and one night you know i was like i want to leave and she was like my boyfriend overdosed and died two days ago and and she was at work and she's like you have to stay whoa like this isn't a game and um if she could be there at work because she knows these people, it's life and death for them and like is helping me. Like I have to give it back. Oh my gosh. I just got chills. Like,
1: yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll definitely say, yeah. i like, I'm
2: going to go lay back down. You're right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice chatting with you. Yeah. She
2: always still like comments you're on like, my oh, stuff. I'm tired.
1: I think I'm going to go to bed. Still
2: oh, supports she me. Died? Shout yeah.
1: out Marilyn. Yeah. Yeah. If you're watching this. I love
0: Marilyn. Yeah. She was Aww. great.
1: So, you go to rehab and could you say that after that rehab experience, like you were sober or after rehab, were you still kind of like, mm.
2: no, I was on, I was on pink cloud. I was like, I knew I found a purpose in my life. I was like, oh, this is why I went through all that shit. This is why all the abuse. Cause if I can help other people and I could see that clearly with like AA and stuff that you could be purposeful in your pain. And that was like my
0: number one priority. Let me ask you this. So you're coming off of methadone. Are you immediately like, I'm just going to stay away from everything? Because did you have a problem with alcohol like or weed or anything?
2: No, um, I didn't. But I knew that I was going to stay away from it. At first, I was like, maybe for a year. Yeah. Right. Um, just because both my parents, I've seen them switch addictions. And like I could see that that's in me. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I'm going to stay away from everything for at least a year. I want to like be able to sponsor women and see how I felt like that's like the real one day at a time type stuff because I'm like, if I have to think that day that I'm never going to drink again, then I'm not going to do it. Yeah. It seems
1: like such a higher mountain, but that I guess that one day at a time makes it a lot smaller.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So how far after you getting out of rehab do, are you diagnosed with cancer?
2: So, um, nine months after rehab, my life is looking really good. I just got, um, um, mine in Brooklyn's own apartment again so I went to sober living after uh, rehab and she stayed at her grandparents a little bit longer and I was driving one night and I got into nine months sober and I got into a car accident Um, and this is the time the second time something came over me and like I had to speak when I didn't want to Um, I get in a car accident and I um, total my car and I hurt my neck and I call my friend, Kevin, the guy that I told you about that I met in rehab. And um, I'm like, hey, I'm about to go to the hospital. I'm going to use pain pills. And he's like, you don't have to. And I was like, well, I want to. <laughs> um, and he was like, okay, it's your choice. And I'm like, okay. And then the ambulance comes and they're like, ma'am, what's your name? I'm like, Candice, and I'm an alcoholic and you can't give me anything. And I'm like, fuck. I was so upset because I'm like, that wasn't me who said that because I was like, why yeah. did I just say that? I just ruined my whole plan. <laughs> so I go to the hospital, they do a CT scan, they find a lump. I know, I know instantly. I'm just like, it's cancer. And
1: where, where was oh, my the thyroid? Lump? Okay.
2: And, um, but did I, you have
0: any symptoms prior to no, this? Nothing, nothing, nothing.
1: So it's almost like that car accident in a way, almost, you know, cause thyroid cancer, that's, that's not anything to play with. I mean, no, I
2: mean it's actually one of like the slower um growing cancers so that and it's like um, more common and you can't, you remove the, your thyroid yep. and then, yeah. Yeah. So they were just like, so I knew it was cancer right away, but I did not go to the doctor right away. I was like, I'm not sober long enough to have surgery. Yeah. I'm going to relapse. So I wait nine months. Mm. Um, and then I go and they're like, it's cancer. We're going to remove your thyroid. And they act like it's a root canal, like, cause they're dealing yeah. with it every day. Yep. Um, so it's not a big deal there. I have a good thyroid party. Um, I go through surgery, a There's,
1: goodbye thyroid party. Yeah, yeah. What are the snacks? What, what do you bring to that?
2: Uh, it was just everything. People were like <laughs> there and they're like, this chick is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> like this is very Candace of you. Um, and well, I just moved into my apartment too. So I was like, they'll give me housewarming gifts for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: Great tactic.
2: And, um, then after the surgery, they're like, oh, okay. It's still in your blood. You have to do the, um, You have to do the radioactive iodine it's still like pretty common to do that so it wasn't like a really big deal and then um but afterwards i go through all that and i don't realize i'm like in fight or flight and i'm just like disassociated going through it so when i go back to the doctor he's like okay it's fine you're gonna survive and i remember thinking like i don't want to and Mm. i was like okay well here i am again at this other rock bottom but i'm sober and I'm realizing, oh, this is because I just went through all this where I don't have control over my own body again. It's just like my childhood home. Um, and it's bringing up all this trauma. So cancer comes back three more times. It metastasizes the soft tissues in my neck, lymph nodes, different things like that. Um, and every time it comes back, I'm like, I got to figure out what is causing this. And it doesn't seem like, it, like a physical thing. It feels like it's spiritual. It feels like it's like trauma
0: stored in the body. Were you spiritual before
2: this? I mean, I always like had some, like I went to church. I, yes, like I always had like some connection. Like when I went to church, they'd be like, oh, you have the, the gift of um, like prophecy or you like have a discernment. You know, you're like gifted in like know, the knowing. Intuition. Right. Yeah. Different things like The that. nuns would just
1: like Do, look well, at they, you. Well,
0: Do and... they even say intuition?
2: No, it would it'd be like you have the gift of discernment. yeah 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 Yeah. um so that's how i kind of got onto the spiritual path of like trying to find other modalities and ways to heal because i was like this is more than
0: like a physical thing like something else is going on right so then when you realize that it's more like spiritual where do you go from there well where are you at now too
1: yeah how long have you been cancer-free at this point
0: um so um i cancer-free is kind of weird
2: with um uh with thyroid cancer. So like, I have like a small um, lump in my throat right now. Um, but it's more like a watch and wait. So we just kind of check in on it. Um, and you just like always check the levels, but I've been like not having to like go to surgery or anything for, um, three years now.
0: So how do you go through that and stay sober?
2: Uh, one day at a time. (laughs) Uh, It, it's funny because, um, when like being asked the question, like, when is it hardest to stay sober? It, those times weren't the hardest, um, because I was like, I almost had an idea I would drink afterwards. I'm like, okay, well I got to stay clear headed for this. I got to get better for Brooklyn. She needs her mom. So I got to like get through cancer and then maybe when I get through it, maybe I'll like drink
0: and then you just don't. Mm Mm-hmm. So then you're, you're not cancer-free 100%, right? Yeah. And do you have to ju- – like, what is that like, just being like, I have to just watch and wait, and wait about this? Like, what do you do to help yourself, like, soothe, basically? I mean, all the stuff that I do,
2: therapy, breath yeah. work – uh plant medicine all that but i finally just got to a point of surrender and like the reality is there's not like a you know at first you're like faced with mortality and you're like you know life and death and it's very serious and then you kind of realize that we actually are all it's all the same for everybody cancer doesn't actually make it that more real um for me um you know, people can get in car accidents. Mm -hmm. Like nothing is um, stable. I think one thing, like when COVID happened, I think everyone kind of got, it was like, all of a sudden there's this even playing field Mm -hmm. with cancer because everyone, all of a sudden my friends were like, what if I lose my job? What if I get sick? What if I, and I'm like, yeah.
1: Bitch, I I had cancer. Yeah. Why
2: aren't you living like that all the time? Yeah. I'm like, Ben said that. I told you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. But
0: I think it's really beautiful too, to be able to find like solace almost in, in uncertainty rather than anxiety. Right. Because I feel like you could easily go to the anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And I
2: did every time I came back because um, they would always be like, oh, it's it's not back. And then it would be back. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, okay. And they're like, it's very rare that it's back. You know, oh, it's fantastic. Very, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> only, like, only uh, the rarest tr- tr- me. Yeah. <laughs> trust, uh, trust, trust, me. Trust. Exclusive. <laughs> yeah. Only. Um, and so it would help. It would. It did get scary there, and like yeah. that's kind of how I found my way into plant medicine and like leaving AA is. Um, before my last surgery, I was like 90 pounds. Um, my hair was falling out. My like family and friends like thought I wasn't gonna make it, um, and I was so desperate um, to experience something different.
0: So, you get sober after rehab, even before the car accident. You were going to AA religiously. Yeah. Like yeah. how often? like three, four days a week. Okay. Yeah. And then even after you get cancer, you're still going to AA. Yeah. Yeah. You stopped?
2: Yeah. So I stopped when, um, before my last surgery, I um, I was in bed for like nine months and I started getting really bad, like PTSD stuff. Like I couldn't leave the house. I stopped driving. Like I would need to get dr- rides places. Was and this
1: after your third surgery?
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Um, and I um, I couldn't get out of bed. The doctors were like, "It has nothing to do with your cancer. Like your weight loss, nothing has." They couldn't find a physical reason, and I was just getting sicker and sicker. And so I'd watch all these documentaries, and there would be ones about like ayahuasca mm-hmm. and whatever. And I had a surgery coming up, and I was like really certain I wasn't going to make it through that surgery. Like I just thought I was going to die. Um, and I was like, I have never traveled anywhere. Like I've never gone anywhere. I've never been out of the country right? and I'm going to die. And I'm it's, what are they going to say on my tombstone? Candace worked like,
1: <laughs> so you were really convinced like yeah. this surgery was going to take your life. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you go from there?
2: Well, like I said, I watched all these documentaries and I was like, I want to use psychedelics and see if I can't like heal cancer or whatever through psychedelics. Um, but I was really scared because I knew I would lose my AA support because I wouldn't be AA sober anymore. And gotcha. I what AA qualifies
0: as AA sober?
2: Um, I, there's different opinions on that for everybody, but like the groups I was going to was very much like, um, no substances. So, like, no, like, psychedelics would count as a relapse. Right. Like, through my sponsorship lineage. I won't speak for but all does of it. Nick, does cigarettes not count as a substance? No, no, just like more mind altering that are like. Okay, got it. Yeah. Got it. Um, and did
1: you so then? Did you leave the country? Did you go travel? What was that like?
2: No, I it was just uh, the idea of it. <laughs> listen, listen, so I was like, I want to use psychedelics. I was very scared to tell my best friend more than anyone because she was the one worried about my sobriety more than anybody. And she had read some book and she was like, Candace, I think you should do psychedelics.
1: You were like, Yes, that's I my in. Like, yeah,
2: I was like, <laughs> uh, I was gonna say the same thing. So I had a week tail surgery. And I was like, I want to try psychedelics. Where am I going to find psychedelics? And I was still like working at the gym on and off. So I go in there and we had a front desk kid who was just like, always dribbling the basketball at the front desk. So he's always <laughs> like, sup, Candice. <laughs> and I was like, he has psychedelics. <laughs> So I just, I brought him in my office he's like, and I'm like, I thought
1: you'd never ask.
2: <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, so I'm dying. And he's like, no, bro.
1: <laughs> Don't die.
2: <laughs> You're too cute oh. to die. No, And I'm like, but I think I want to try psychedelics as a way to like, and he was like, I got some in the car.
1: Of course. So what did he have? Like shrooms? Uh, acid, LSD. LSD. So
2: I took uh, two tabs of LSD. Damn. You I, went straight for two oh, tabs. Yeah, You're like, I'm an addict. Still, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do, do it. Um, And I cried for 12 hours listening to DMX and it was the best thing in my entire life.
0: Cause also, I feel like that's not something you can like get addicted to where you're doing it every single day, right? I that, I couldn't for sure, no, yeah. Because that I mean like, there you're are definitely people there,
1: that right? be dropping tabs on the regular. Well, I,
0: can, you, can you can't function? can No, you? no. I I mean
2: I think anyone can develop any kind of habit towards anything, True. but that that one was a lot safer of a choice for me, uh, and yeah, it was. Pretty
1: it helpful. almost like inspired. You. I'm sure after that you didn't think you were going to die from that surgery.
2: No, I didn't. And or if I did, I was okay. I got in like complete surrender, yeah. Like, well, it is what it is,
1: right?
0: Yeah, and then you make it out of that surgery, and then where do you go from there?
2: Uh, to trauma therapy in Florida.
0: Um,
1: so you move, so this was all still in Washington, Washington, yep. And then you move across the entire United States.
2: Oh, so I left, um, so February before COVID, I just went to trauma therapy in Florida. So I left my daughter and husband were still at the time, we're still in Washington. Brooklyn was 14 at this time and that was the age I was abused at. Mm. And so I was struggling to do any trauma work in the same house as her because looking at her, I saw myself and saw what I went through. So I went away for a month to go to trauma therapy. Um, and that's when I got into like yoga, breath work, things like that. And I was like, this is great. I'm going to teach everybody. And then I get home and COVID happened and the world shut
0: down.
1: Right. And that's how we sort of, or that's how Amanda came across you was through your breath work business. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: yeah. Well, I got Reiki mm-hmm. from you. Oh, was it Reiki first? It was first? Reiki. I got Reiki. I remember looking and I was like, this is the cheapest op- option. I'm going to go with this one. <laughs> and because there was something, I went on um this website, this like Wellness Collective in Denver, and I went on their website. They had all these like team members or providers. Yeah. And there was just something about Candice. I was just pulled to you. Like, I don't know what it was, but I was like, I need to, to I need to like get any kind of spiritual work done with her. And... I go, and I mean, we immediately hit it off, and then I remember we were talking about my business, and I was like, I don't know where I want to go with, like, coaching, I'm just like, terrible at sales, I'm bad at marketing, all these things, and uh, you're like, well, I do business coaching, and I was like, okay. And you're like, terrible
1: at sales, like, I got you, fam. Yeah. You know, and that was like, your realm. Yeah.
0: But yeah I, th- I think that was like, late January. Yeah. We didn't start working together till like, late March. Yeah. So, I think I was just like, I don't know, I had you in the back of my mind, I don't think we like, had another session. No. And then... I, like, remember, March was, like, a really hard month for me with clients. I just, like, couldn't get clients. I was so – I remember in January, I was very lost. Like, I didn't know my identity. I was, like, six months postpartum. I was so just, like, who am I? What do I want to do? And I finally was just, like, I'm going to reach out to Candace And we started working together for, for business coaching. Yep. Yeah.
1: When you told Amanda that you could help her, like, with – through, you know, via business coaching yeah. – Was that the first time you ever thought about doing something like that for someone or was it always sort of?
2: Well, I just miss, okay, so like the best part about like gym sales is I would get these like, um, especially training people on how to be personal trainers. Like you're giving them a gift. If they can do sales, then they can do anything. Mm -hmm. And I really loved helping people like get successful in their business and getting creative. And that was like the best part of my day. Like that wasn't even my job as a general manager, but like that was what I liked to do the most. Um And so you were just like so eager and inspired and like I was like, oh, if I could just tell her a few things, mm-hmm.
0: it came over. Well, I think there's also something to be said, too, for me specifically about like the fact that you were also spiritual and yeah. had like the the intuition piece. Because I remember, I mean, we worked together and like maybe two weeks later, I sold out my first group program and yeah. like. Yeah. I was like,
1: okay. <laughs> like, you were like business coach, Reiki coach, breath work. Yeah. Like, this is my chick. that yeah. I'm, I'm putting all my eggs in her basket. But
0: here's why I also think you're great too is because towards the end of us even working together, I stopped even doing like coaching in that course. And, yeah. And you weren't like, don't do that. You were like, yeah, that feels right for you. Yeah. Like it was. So I loved that you were not only there to just like help me with my business and make that successful, but just like make me successful. Right. Which is the difference. Right. Yeah, no, it was a pleasure. And then, yeah, I'll tell and then you two. Yeah,
1: and then I'm sort of watching, you know, your relationship sort of pan out from the side. And, Actually, you know,
0: I'm talking about you in our session. Yeah. <laughs> Help. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> Um And then I think, you know, I think breath work and Reiki and, and all that kind of stuff was something I was always, you know, not totally shut off to. I was always open to it and willing to do it. Right. Um, so and then you started or not started, but you were doing this. I think our first session was a breath. Was it a reiki or, it was, or was it scream work?
2: Yeah, it was. It was the scream work, breath work session. It, yeah, and was it the? It was. I don't think it was. It wasn't a microdose
0: one, was it? Mm-hmm. I don't think it was. No, no. I think that but was we our, s- uh, no, that was like our four
1: second. four hours either okay. way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you were. And, and Amanda was, <laughs> I was a- like...
0: I remember Lucas was not answering his phone and I texted you. I was like, is he okay? Like, yeah. is he still with you? Yeah. Like, yeah, he's good. And Amanda yeah.
1: was always telling me like how intuitive you are and how like you just you just need to meet me and you'll pick everything up, right? So yeah. I knew. And at that point...
0: Well, can I say... Because I feel like everyone who meets you is like, Oh my gosh, she's the most like social outgoing open person, but you're so selective with what you want to be open with. Mm. And I think to be able to be around somebody who can really help you, but you don't have to open up because she can read it. Totally. Is so important.
1: Yeah. And I was just, I was at a point in my life where, you know, work was really rigorous, Fa- young father of two, you know, married. And I personally, you know, have been smoking weed and, that was my escape for a very long time. I mean, I started smoking weed when I was 13 years old. So it was a part of my life for a long time. And I was in a really rough patch where all I did was just numb myself. And I was really going through this this situation where I was aware that I was totally addicted to to smoking weed and and using that as an escape. Mm -hmm. And I knew I I wanted to stop, but I, I didn't know how because I was so convinced I couldn't do it on my own where I was almost telling Amanda, like, if I'm going to get off of this stuff, like I need to go to rehab yeah. or it needs to be something really drastic.
0: Right. But this, I also think it's important. This wasn't your first time wanting to stop and like trying to. Yeah. And you you
2: had... To- put together some days before once yeah like, yeah. like or two or weeks one time yeah, yeah I
1: think I think it was but it was always on your own yeah always. It, but it never worked for me because I always thought I was like getting sober for other people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know it was like the first time I ever did it I think I wanted to you know stop smoking weed for you and then we had our first child and I was like oh you know I'm gonna stop smoking weed for Lennox um, but it was always for someone else um, and then I was at a really rough rough patch with my career where it, my career wasn't going. Um, it's not like my career wasn't going well. I was just so engulfed yeah. in the stress of sales, of wanting to be an overachiever, of wanting to also be present for you and, and for my family. And I was just bottling a lot of it up and and using weed to like be my escape. And I knew I didn't want to do it anymore. So when we first met, I was mentally like a nervous wreck. Like mm-hmm. I was... I was exhausted Mm -hmm. and I remember I I think we were like maybe five minutes in and I really just started almost crying Mm -hmm. because I knew you could see it in me Mm -hmm. Um, and we had a really good session and I think it was the second session where I was like I really think I I need help in in getting off of weed and I was like I know you were a past addict and you're sober now and you're like I can help you But I was like, but don't I need to like do a 30 day rehab (laughs) thing? Like I need to, you know, ship away from my family. I was really tied behind, you know, tied with, if I'm going to stop this, I need something drastic. And you're like, no, like I will take you through, you know, a lot of the stuff that I went through and why don't you work with me? And then that's, that's kind of how I became your first client.
0: Yep. Yeah, um, you were also like you're gonna get beat up by all the heroin addicts. <laughs> like, yeah. You're like, yeah, <laughs> you're
1: like, don't go to AA. They're gonna call you a pussy. Like, <laughs> well, well I
0: also said you absolutely can. Uh, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you
2: can because that was that in between our first to second session is when I had to really decide morally if I agreed to charge because right. I was taking different men and women through the like um, a
0: program, but I wasn't charging for it. I was just like helping people get sober. Here's the thing, though: putting money up makes people invest even more. Yeah, it makes people way more serious about what about their journey yeah.
1: if I didn't pay for it yeah I would I probably would have not gone fully through it yeah. you know yeah. I think well not only were you really good at just holding me accountable but me like actually investing in yeah. it you know with my sales mindset yeah. like I, I'm i you know I try not to spend a lot of money even though I do spend a lot of money yeah. Um what but me, <laughs> me investing in it made me take it that much more serious yeah and I was really relieved that I could work on this Um, not having to go to like a rehab facility because that's, you know, I think a lot of people think that is the way to do it. Mm -hmm. When Mm -hmm. someone like you could really change their life where you could work with them virtually Mm -hmm. or you could work with them in person Mm -hmm. and they can still like live at home and more
2: accessible. Yeah. Yeah. It's really accessible. I mean, it was, You make it sound nicer, but like, I feel like I just punked you into it. I was just like, let's see who has the biggest ego in this
1: room. Right.
2: Bet you can't. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I can. Yeah, I
1: shook. I was like, yeah, I like that price. Let's shake on it right now. And you're like, oh, all right, cool. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that was, that was a big moment for me.
0: But, okay, and I feel like you should talk more about like your journey to like what it looked like for you. Because I think that's something that we mentioned on one of the last episodes. We were like, yeah, I'm doing this, this 90 day sober thing just for like fun, you know, like I'm just doing it for fun, but you didn't really dive into it. And I yeah. think the- it would benefit people to hear too. Like you currently 25 years old, we're addicted to something
1: and what that looks like for you now. Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, I was and the whole 90 day thing was because your advice to me was, okay, if you're going to get off weed Cause I never had an alcohol problem, but you were like, if you're going to get off weed, you're going to get off everything. Like you're going to do totally cold Turkey. And you're like, Hmm, how about 90 days? Let's just do 90 days. Like you, you looked at your calendar. What's uh, you're like, uh, October would be 90 days. I was like, it was July. And I was like, okay, you know, fuck it. Let's do it. Right. Um, I knew I never wanted to smoke weed again and I haven't since we started working together and weed is, you know, something that I'm, I'm definitely, um, I'm not going to say never, but I am 100% confident that it's totally out of my life. And I don't know Well, it's like what
0: she was saying. If you, if you think about never smoking again, you're not going to do it. Yeah, but it's like a lot, it's day, a lot
1: harder. Day, you know? um, and I did 90 days with no alcohol as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm like casually drinking again. So I'm not completely 100% sober. Right. Um, but it was really hard at first.
0: Because talk, walk people through like how many times you were smoking a day. And like what it actually looked like for you?
1: Yeah, no, I mean it was waking up in the morning and getting high, and getting high at lunch, and getting high before bed, and it came to a point where I was just a shell of myself. Um, always numb. I would work, and then after work I would come home, or not come home. I was already home. Come upstairs. <laughs> I would walk upstairs and transition to dad life, and. It was something where I was still almost like a walking zombie, where everything Amanda told me would go through one ear out the other. I was always a great dad. I was always super present. I was always closing deals. I was very, um, what's the word? Functional. Functional addict. But we'd had a huge grasp on my life.
0: Like, I even remember you would, like, we would have an argument. Like you'd be sober, we'd have an argument and then he'd go outside and smoke and come back and be like, I'm sorry. Like, that was your biggest, apologize. that was your that was biggest, biggest problem thing, with like, it. Why can't you, and you could apologize sober, but it was more just like, it would make you a different person. It would change your mood. And then I'm, you come in and you're all good and happy, but I'm still like in the reality of the argument that we just had. Right. Like, and it came my to mood just changed because of a substance. You and know?
1: It, yeah. It came to a point where, you know, on a Saturday or Sunday we couldn't go out to the farmer's market or do something fun without me putting the kids in the car, running to the shed and smoking a couple of bowls real quick because mm-hmm. nothing was exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Just like I really wished going to the farmer's market or having a big family day was super exciting on its own and it mm-hmm. should be, but it wasn't cool for me unless I got to smoke before we left the house. What was
0: that quote I read? Was that from you or somebody, someone said like, Being um, addicted to something almost just like narrows your path of pathways of joy like narrows what can bring you joy
1: right and it's like it's almost like everyone knows who smokes a lot of weed like before you do any activity like you gotta smoke or smoke a blunt or smoke a bowl beforehand like I see you know memes all the time like we're gonna go to the grocery store but we're gonna smoke before like we're gonna go you know it's like every every activity you do you want to get high beforehand Mm -hmm. and I just didn't want to live that life anymore and I didn't know how to get out of it right um So, you know, that's where you came in and you really helped me out. And I think, you know, now if I would have, if you would have told me, you know, at the beginning of this year that I would be completely off of weed for what going on for four months now, five months now, I would have told you you're crazy. But
2: I mean, I also would like to note that even though alcohol is never your thing, how your relationship to alcohol has changed through the 90 days. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, specifically thinking about that baseball game. And the phone call before the baseball mm-hmm. game—that
0: was pivotal.
1: Yeah, that was a big moment for me. That was when I actually had to call like a sponsor call, <laughs> I, you know. And I never knew that, and you know. I never. By the
0: way, he was dreading it before. He was like, "Oh, like, should I call Candace?" And I was like, "I don't know. What do you think?" He's like, "I'm gonna call her." Like he was so yeah fighting it.
1: Yeah, I was halfway through like my 90 days completely sober, and my best friend jason is coming into town and jason and i you know through our whole relationship on a weekend we're having drinks together and i was just really nervous because this was the first time I was going to be with my really good friend in a very social setting. We were hitting, we were hitting downtown. We were going to a Denver Rockies game, and I wanted nothing more than to just like, you know, fuck it. I'm gonna break my 90 days. I'm not smoking weed, but I'm just gonna like have a couple cocktails or a couple beers with Jason because that's that's what we do. And I was afraid that my friendship was h- with him wasn't going to be the same mm-hmm. because I was sober. And that was mm-hmm. something that really scared me. Uh, so when he was like downstairs in our guest room, he was getting ready to, you know, for the night, taking a shower. I was upstairs taking a shower and in the shower, I was almost convincing myself like, Oh, Jason's in town. Like that's a good excuse for me to just have a couple of beers with him because right. that's just what we do. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be sober around, you know, my good buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when i was like no this is this is a problem you know this is an issue you're going to really be upset with yourself if you don't go through this 90 days without drinking so that's when i was like in the shower i'm yelling at amanda i'm like amanda <laughs> like i've never wanted to drink cuz it was a super big test it was a big test for me i was never around like a really good friend on my 90 day like sober journey um so immediately i i never knew what the relationship with a sponsor and like a sponsee was like Mm -hmm. until that very moment until I needed you to like set me the fuck straight in that situation. And what
2: did you say on that call? I mean, you go checked him again. Yeah. you uh, like, don't be a pussy. <laughs> I, well, because I was like, well, what is your friend going to think if you told him you weren't drinking and then now you're drinking? So is he going to think you're like not a man of your word or like what? Which
0: do you, Would you say that to everyone or because, you know, that would hit with him?
2: I knew it hit with him.
1: And, and I totally knew did. that
2: I was like, this isn't about him and his experience. This is completely selfish. And like you trying to have your like nostalgic mm-hmm. feelings and like, what would it look like if this one time you just showed up? him and i think you know later you said we had more meaningful conversations it was very like the, you found more empathy or like intimacy right because that's what we're all craving is you want intimacy with your friends and and you had shared before that like when you were high all the time you never invited your friends out so you literally get sober to start inviting your friends out and then you're gonna drink with them mm-hmm. like it was like mm-hmm. what are you doing and right then also like how can you create and i think you guys had like meaningful conversations. we had a great and like,
1: night and luckily jay was like hey you're not drinking i'm not drinking yeah, yeah and that gave us an opportunity to really just talk and be friends and catch up and have right. seriously meaningful conversations show up yes and a that, way that was you haven't in a long time that was the first time i ever around a really good friend was like not drinking tonight we're not drinking tonight and after that, I was unstoppable. Yeah. It was oh, yeah. so easy for me to be me like, so no, much confidence. it gave me so much confidence. It was insane. But
0: I also think that's a good t- sentiment too, is like there are so many people who have like friends from college where their entire relationship was off of drinking.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, and I think
0: it's a good, it's a good, like almost just way to like vet people. Like, is this relationship still meaningful? It's actually a great way to, you know, see if there's a value, if there's common interest still. And it, that's what I
1: was afraid of, that right, there yeah. wasn't going to be like all right. my friendships in high school, most of my friendships in middle school, all we did was just sneak off and get high together, right. yeah. sneak off and smoke weed, you know? So I was afraid I was always used to being with friends and using a substance, being with friends, getting drunk, being with friends, getting high. What was this going to be like being with a really good friend, completely sober, that was scary to me, and that's why I was like, oh, maybe just tonight. Like,
2: And that's really common for people who have problems with alcohol and people who don't, because I think, as you saw in your 90 days, like there were even so many more other opportunities mm-hmm. where you would have even had just one beer at a brunch, and you didn't, and you're like, you're like, I just have, I would say now you have more of a choice in the matter. Way more right? of a choice. Like, you can consciously decide, like, hey, at brunch and we let Amanda have a few drinks and i drive and be the one taking care of... Like, you just show up yeah. in your life
1: in this new way. Mm-hmm. And then it's weird. then, like, Sunday brunch, right? I'm not drinking any alcohol, which if I wasn't doing the 90 days, I would have got, you know, maybe not hammered, but yeah. I would have got day drunk, you know, yep. feel pretty bloated, then fall asleep at 3 p.m., you know? Mm-hmm. But then it's, like, letting Amanda have some drinks, being completely sober, and then I'm, like, working out that night. Yeah. I'm like, oh, man, this life is pretty nice. So, I can get used to this.
0: Before we shift into like maybe the recipe to being sober, because I want you to explain to how people can be like sober-ish and how they can make it their own. I almost want you to explain a little bit of like the feeling before you go to a social situation being like, oh, I'm sober, I'm not drinking. And then the feeling after, because I think that's the biggest thing for people is how am I going to go to this social interaction and not have a cocktail or not smoke weed when everyone else is doing that? And that's also been my habit, my behavior at every one of these things. It's hard to show up differently when you've been used to something and other people are some, are used yep. to, like, a familiar behavior. But what's that feeling like for you when you actually do it, you stick to your word, and then how do you feel?
1: Yeah, I think naturally, though, I'm not, like a socially anxious human being. I think I've always been super outgoing. I've always been able to have, you know, conversations with strangers and people that I just meet. But my tactic was just being, just not hiding that I wasn't drinking was actually just like telling people, Hey, I'm doing like a 90 day sober kick right now, like not drinking any alcohol. And then that would lead into like a conversation, um, as to, you know, maybe why I'm doing it. Um, and then that would lead into like another conversation of us even getting to know each other on a more intimate level. But whenever I'd go into social settings, because I did a couple work trips, you know, while I was doing my 90 days, I did a couple of, of other things. And I kind of just before, I don't know, I just wanted everyone to, to be aware that I was kind of going through it because it was almost reminding myself too, right? like the second, you know, they have a drink. It's like, no, I'm not drinking tonight because I'm doing this 90 day thing. It didn't. If I didn't talk about it, yeah, I could still almost like if I had this weak moment, I could order a drink and he no would be one thinking would. About
0: it, they would be thinking like, "Why isn't he drinking?" Like, yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah, it's this unspoken like. And, and then
1: it's like I couldn't get a drink because they would be like, you just told me you were doing a 90 day right, like, right, sober right. thing. So it and almost like it was like a technique to hold myself accountable. Right. To just immediately let people know like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm not drinking tonight because I'm doing this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's always really nice to where you're used to, you know, going out and having drinks and getting drunk. Getting home and ordering late night food, having kind of a shitty sleep, waking up kind of bloated still from the late night meal that you had super slow morning because you feel like kind of shit uh, to, you know, being sober, going home, not doing the late night meal, having a great sleep, waking up in the morning, feeling fucking amazing. You know, and that, that was um, a big eye opener for me.
0: And it gives you, does it just like give you this sense of like confidence afterwards Yeah, it's like want to keep doing? It? Yeah,
1: it's, of the, it's the confidence of, you know, being able to say no in a public setting and, um, and like proving to yourself that I can still be a, a fun human being who's super social and I don't need like this, you know, liquid courage in a way, mm-hmm. um, to where now, like I am, you know, I did my 90 days and and that was really to like get off of weed and get off of full of substances. I'm not smoking weed and don't plan on doing it for an extremely long time, um, you know, taking it day by day. Uh, but I am drinking again, um, but I've become a lot more selective on when I'm drinking and what I'm drinking, which is nice.
0: I want to talk about the the recipe to sobriety in a way, because I think being sober curious is so trendy right now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are getting to like their mid twenties and really a lot of people are just like, I don't like the way that I feel like right. a lot of it might not even be like, I have a problem. A lot of it could just be like, I'm not reaching my goals. I'm not keeping my word. I'm not moving my body. I'm not doing all these things. So for you, maybe explain like what sobriety looks like for you specifically. And then like how people can maybe even like make it their own.
2: Right. Right. Um so for me like I said when I got sober is very the traditional way help others uh clear up your own shit um take a look at your own life make things right that you um had done in your past and um and then having those principles of from like recovery rooms like aa um so ingrained in me and then stepping out of the rooms and deciding i'm gonna like do psychedelics and i'm gonna make it my own but still really living by those same principles um so i was like well it must be the principles that are keeping me sober ish mm. um And I think sober-ish or sober-curious are some different um, terms quoted for it. But for me, it's just like I'm on a path of recovery. I'm still recovering from addiction. I'm recovering from cancer, trauma, whatever it is. My path to recovery looks like I still abstain from alcohol. Um, I will do psychedelics as part of my healing journey. And they've been really profound, as I said. But um, also, like, just coming up with, like, so for me, it looks like, You know, I'm not taking um, certain drugs. I'm not drinking. I'm not doing things. (laughs) Certain drugs. Certain drugs. (laughs) Pills. Like I have my. And I say certain because everyone has their own path to recovery. Right. Yeah,
1: and I think that's why this is. That you know that this is beautiful because. Everyone's sober looks different. Yep. Like my sober is not smoking weed. That's huge for me. But
0: I think some people have this idea of sobriety where it's like, well, I have to be completely. So it's right. this extreme. Right. Well, and, and I so
2: like I said, I lost my entire AA community um, because of psychedelics. And I have been able to forgive them because they have so much fear.
1: Was that a toxic sort of breakup there? Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Okay.
2: Um, but again, yeah, it's like this fear versus love yeah, conversation. Yeah. So they were just scared I was going to relapse and die, or they were scared if they got too close to it, they would relapse and die. And some people do take psychedelics and then end up relapsing. Right. So I'm never promoting, like, and if people come to me as, like, a client for, like, microdosing or breathwork and stuff, and they're like, I want to try this, and I'm in recovery. I'm like, you should try just breathwork first with mm-hmm. no psychedelics because I can get you there with your own breath, and then you don't have to lose that support. Yep. Um, so like that and i'm kind of like you in the sense of like i'm just like a confident person i'm not really socially awkward and if i do something i'm going to do it with my all so people are like well you don't have to tell people you do psychedelics and i'm on like instagram live the next day i'm like so i did psychedelic (laughs) (laughs) because i do have to because i have to live an honest life that's part of those principles i talked about those
0: things that keep me sober definitely feels like there's something spiritual for you in this lifetime around speaking your truth
2: yep yeah, like I just I have to. I have to be honest. If it hurts everyone, mm-hmm. and or and I don't solve.
1: think the the big like sober curious trend right now is revol like revolves around like the zero substances altogether period. I think right now a lot of people are experimenting with these like short bursts, right? Like with the 90 days or October. Yeah. Yeah. Like sober October. Right. Like I even have a couple of my friends based off of my 90 days, like they're doing 90 days themselves, which is super cool to see.
0: Let me ask you this for people that are listening who are intrigued. What, could addiction look like? Because I'm sure there are some people who are listening to this that might be addicted to something and not really want to admit it or really know what it looks like. What do you feel like are some so, like, telltale signs? If you don't have a choice. Yeah. Like, um,
2: using Lucas's example, like, he wanted to just be able to get up and go to the farmer's market with you, and he didn't have a choice. There was no choice but to go smoke weed first. Um, And if you don't have a choice, then maybe that is the kind of, for me, that's kind of the telling difference of addiction or not. Um, I mean, today, at almost eight years sober, it looks like... maybe toxic relationships or like hey i got um a good paycheck so i'm gonna go shopping or whatever mm-hmm. it is and it's like it's this habit this um imp- impulse um impulsive decision making without like maybe weighing in the full consequences
1: of the action. like escape escape yeah, yeah, yeah where I, mean. I was literally mentally like i don't want to smoke a bowl as i'm packing the bowl for myself because mm-hmm. i did not have a choice mm-hmm. it's what my body knew and was used to even my mind was like really don't want to be doing this. Cause I know at three o'clock in this afternoon, I'm going to be falling asleep. Like I'm going to be mm-hmm. super tired. I'm not going to be as active with my kids because like, you know, I'm high. Right. Didn't right. want to do it, but had no choice and had to do it.
0: Yeah. Right. It's like your free will goes out the window. I mean, I even experience that sometimes with coffee. That's why like I'm doing 30 days of no coffee right now. And I think it's important to tell people too, like your addiction doesn't have to be like alcohol, weed, whatever it can, it can really be anything. Oh yeah. And I think, um, it's important to one, that's why we want to have you on to talk about like the different ways you can be it. Um, but for you almost eight years sober, like a question that popped up a lot was how do you make friends? How do you be social? So like, I want to ask you, like, how do you even, how do you spice things up being sober? Like, how do you spice up your life now that you don't have that thing?
2: Um, I've always been a huge component of like, I wasn't going to have to only be around sober people.
1: Hmm. So some
2: people have to do that. I was going to make sure I was spiritually fit enough. It's what they use in the recovery rooms, like to go into places where people are drinking and still be able to have a good time. So that was really important to me. Um, when you were asking him, like if you, um, how do you feel after you drink going in a situation? Like, the the thought still is fleeting. It's there. I'm at a concert. I move here. I'm at Red Rocks for yeah. the first time watching Wu-Tang. And I'm like, I wish I could have a drink. And then I'm watching people in the, missing the concert because they're in line to get another drink or then they're in line to pee or oh. then they're, like, sloppy out. And I'm just living off the high of the amazing show that that was. And I'm just like, so I'm like, yes, the thought still comes to my head and I always feel better. I never regret not drinking.
0: That's the question, too, because it's like, I think for some people, it's about not giving into that one little fleeting thought. Yep. Because it does pass, and yep. I think for so many people, they're like, "Oh, well, it's it's not going to go away." But I think once you acknowledge it, instead of trying to like suppress it and like bury that thought, yep. if you acknowledge it, it does just go away. You immerse yourself in the experience, and for right. right. some people,
2: you know, and, and it think- can be shocking because I tell people when I want to drink, like I'll say, "This last six weeks, I've been closer to a drink than yeah. ever in my." almost eight years but like there's still 20 steps between me and a drink right so when i tell somebody like Lucas, like, it's like yeah i've been thinking about i've i've thought about drinking it, it might be like i'm like well i'm not gonna yeah like I, I i'm just saying like the numbingness sounds nice i'll just get on tinder instead or something <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and i think you saying like you never regret not having a drink yep. is huge because that was i could really relate to that as well like no matter how you know, much you want to in the moment or wanted to in the moment. I think like owning it, like me, Mm -hmm. like telling people, Hey, I'm doing this like sober, sober 90 day thing, being outward about it and not hiding it. But also that fact, that feeling of the next day, like I never was like, man, I wish I did have a couple cocktails last night. Right. Um, And that was, that was big for me.
0: So how do you spice things up? How do you go into a room sober and like still have fun? Or are there like activities for meeting people that are you know, not a bar or like there are now, (laughs) (laughs) actually,
2: actually, uh, this is why I created the sober dating events and the sober uh, mocktail parties and different things like that. Because, um, with removing the um, temptation to drink and having that out of there and being able to meet people that are sober without AA, AA creates or any recovery group creates an automatic community anywhere you go in the world. Like you can go and create community, and so since I left AA before moving here, I was like, "How am I going to create community?" Now I like I'm pretty brave, so like I started doing comedy. I started roller skating. I started. Where were you doing things. comedy? Um, just local in Denver. Are you going to do it again? Uh, no, probably. Please,
0: not. like uh, open open mic nights. So your your Instagram content right now is sending me. <laughs> it is so fucking funny. Well, so like I get a hobby.
2: Uh, <laughs> like and to then to I and then gets over from it <laughs> yeah <laughs> then I date everybody <laughs> in the hobby oh, and right. so <laughs> I'm good off the Denver comedy scene for a little bit <laughs> no uh, I just I really respect the art of the people that do comedy like I'm really close with a lot of comedians and mm-hmm. I'm just like I it they just like put their whole heart and soul in it yeah. it yeah. was like just fun for me but yeah and then I just like meet people um, doing that but how I spice it up is like um, I don't know I just put myself out there but like I, I can it's sometimes easy for me just being an outgoing person so I wanted to create these events where people could come and meet other sober singles or other sober people without like you don't have to be a sober maybe you're just not drinking for sober October and you don't want to go to a bar for a Halloween party mm-hmm. maybe you um are just don't want to date with drinking because you made too many mistakes on a first date which or, that's huge is Yeah, everyone's
0: like First date, go grab drinks. Oh, yeah.
2: And especially because um, that's not, like, a requirement for me for the person to be sober. Like, that's still, like, a weird conversation all the time. So you can just, like, have that out of the equation by, like, going to these events. But um, I would say doing things where there's another activity going on. So I love concerts, um, skating, um, where, like... The activity isn't just drinking. Maybe it's like axe throwing. Y'all like that here, right? <laughs> <laughs> Good
1: recommendation yeah. for the for the 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 bears watching this, uh, like the big like the, the axe throwers watching this podcast I've never done right that.
2: now. But I mean, it's another activity: bowling. <laughs> where yeah, the, the, yeah. it's not just drinking,
1: right? Or I challenge people who like you know want to maybe get sober a little bit or stop drinking to do what they're n- like go to a bar and just order like a uh, ginger beer or something yeah, that's and what the, i did. And the
2: mocktails that's like all like the yeah.
0: rave right now I, that's why i love doing this event here well because even sometimes like when i'll do like a 30 days no drinking or whatever it may be i have realized because again like there was a point in time in college where like i was binge drinking on the weekends heavily right. and like it was th- something that i needed to go out and be social and feel confident mm-hmm. and so I feel like in college when I decided like, okay, I'm going to take a break. Like I'm not going to drink. I would realize it was really just like the fun beverage that I yep. wanted. It wasn't yep. the effects. It was really like, oh, I'll drink an Pop and be fine. Or I'll have a mocktail and I'll right. be fine. It really, I was so surprised at how it was more like the oral fixation, yep. something to do with my hand and then like a fun little beverage. It's not really the effects. And so I think for people listening too, who might be just wanting to explore, like it could be that for you too. And I, it, it's really a cool, I mean, you learn something new about yourself. Right. And this yeah. I
1: think that's the big thing too. Is just testing, like learn, learn something new about yourself. Yeah. Right. And to your point as well, you can get a, like, think about your favorite cocktail. I guarantee you, you could still make that cocktail without the alcohol and it still tastes relatively the same. Like what I did a lot. I was a big, uh, Moscow mule fan and at restaurants when I was doing like my 90 days, I would just order ginger beer with, with a lime wedge. And it was kind of similar, gave me that sort of Moscow mule taste and and vibe, but it kind of, you know,
2: I think it's important to touch on the fact though, too, that we're talking about people that are like able to just like stop drinking too, um, because there are people that wake up in like alcohol withdrawals and they're shaking and they have to have a drink keeping it through the day. And like, I highly recommend the way I went like treatment center, AA or whatever recovery type of program that might suit you. Um, and that's where like, it's interesting. Cause as I'm changing the direction of my Instagram and my business and stuff, I'm like, I'm always like, where does that line where we talk about that side of it or where it's like trendy and fun and like people are like able to like my best friend, when you are like, when I do a 30 day, my best friend, she's not alcoholic at all. And she does a 30 day for like her detoxes all the time, like, and acknowledging like, Oh, that is because she's not alcoholic. Right. Right. And um, so like that's why I wanted to create like sober events too because I want space for people who are not drinking because they're alcoholic and then people who are just not drinking. Right. (laughs) Because maybe the people that are just not drinking for 30 days like you, you wouldn't go meet friends at AA. Right. Mm -hmm. And then maybe the people who are alcoholic want to meet people outside of AA. Right. And so kind of creating like an all-inclusive environment for Mm -hmm. like it doesn't matter the reason, it doesn't matter the level, but like on a human level.
0: I want to... Get into some of the questions that people ask us from Instagram about sobriety because I think you would be the perfect person to answer them. But also, because we're here, I want to talk about your business a little bit. Yeah. Because you've had great success with your business. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you, you leave this kind of cushy sales job to start this, this thing with, you know, risks there. Yeah. Talk about your recipe to success in your business.
2: Um, I call it the single mom syndrome.
0: <laughs> uh, I put myself in these situations where I
2: have no other choice but to succeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I really say that because I will get a lot of students or clients that are like, how did you do? And I was like, I didn't have a choice. So mm-hmm. when I started this business, I had moved to Denver. I left my husband. He left with everything. He was the sole income provider because I was still sick on and off. And I went down to my apartments and I was like, hey, I have no income. I need to live here still. What do I do? And they're like, you have two weeks to come up with five thousand dollars to be able to live, stay in this apartment and I was like bet and um I'm gonna start my business so I, I bet on myself <laughs> um and I just created um a mentorship program um for like spiritual mentorship with breath work and things like that and just like put all my eggs in one basket mm-hmm. and it kind of took off from there but I would say definitely my sales background has helped in all that a lot and um just um you know authenticity, being myself, being myself online, um, knowing my story, owning my story. I'm a firm believer in like, you can't call me a hoe because I've already called me a hoe. Like you can't call me a junkie because I've called me a junkie. Mm -hmm. Like this is just who I am. And if I have integrated the truth and like know my truth, nobody can come at me and say anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah,
1: I think that's what struck with me uh, a lot with you too. You're like just the realest motherfucker. Like (laughs) I've ever, you know, one of the realest motherfuckers I've ever met. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't work with you for business coaching because I like because you had this like pristine little you did have a great website yeah but like it's not because you had like all of these like bullet points but this is the way that I was gonna help you it was like we vibed you believed in me I trusted you yeah. and I saw that you were successful I was like done
2: yeah done yeah yeah. And it's, it's so interesting and like so divine that, that I remember I was in the bath when you messaged me. I'm, I'm always in the bath. Yeah. bath. <laughs> uh, I was in the bath and you messaged me on Instagram and I had like been toying with the ideas of putting packages together uh, for business coaching. And I think so one of the things my husband like took is the car. I didn't have a car and I needed a certain amount to like put down on a car. And that and that day I was like in the bath and I was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get this car? And you were like are you taking on clients and i was like yes and you're like how much and i gave you the amount and you're like done and it was the exact amount i needed for the car whoa (laughs) and it was just like okay this is divine this is what i should be doing like it was it was
0: talk about that too pitching yourself because i think that's for for people who are entrepreneurs or even in the coaching space or anything in general where you're creating a price point for people like how do you get the confidence to even be like this is what i'm charging
2: Uh, fake it till you make it. Well, Um, because
0: like there are certain people who I could look at and be like, I'm not paying you that amount. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said it and I was like done. Yeah? Um, I like I actually
2: divide my price per my hours so I have an hourly rate that I believe in and that feels good to me Um, and is what I would pay people for what I do an hourly rate and then so I take the programs and then I put how many hours I'm investing in it at my hourly rate and so that's how I kind of got over that moral issue that I had of like you know um, $150,000 for six sessions with me or like something crazy like that I'm like well, this is my hourly rate. This is how many hours you're getting. Right. So then there's like no confusion. Right. You're actually just paying for my time. Right. So whatever we create in that time is fine, and there's no like under promise over deliver. Right. You're just having access to me, which was a weird concept to like
0: people are paying for access. That's weird. right. But right. Um, I'm over it now. And
2: yeah. I feel good about
0: it. Yeah. And then so you start your business. You started it in Washington. Here. You started here. Yep how long have you been doing it?
2: Uh, February would be two years.
0: Okay. Do you think it was a lot of like throwing spaghetti at the wall at first? Yes. Because I think that's the biggest thing for a lot of people is like, how do you even start? Yep. So for you, like what tips would you give people to just like starting something? If it's a passion project, if it's been like this idea that they've had, what are your tips to just like starting? Um, Like I said, I didn't have a choice. Like I knew that I could always go back to work.
2: I could go back to another gym. I could do whatever. Um, so I just worked the hours like I was going to work every day. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether that was posting, whether that, I mean, it was posting. It was like, so, you know, I was like, yeah, I was going to open mics to do comedy. And I'm like, ha, 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 you should try breath work. <laughs> uh, like my friend Jeff, the photographer, like that's how we became friends. I was like, try some free breath work. Like I was just like offering it to people. I just believed in it so much and believed what I was doing so much. And I knew if they would try it. And like, that's how Scream Church started is Jeff did work, And he's like, okay, that was great. And I cannot afford to pay you. So if I could have 10 friends, can we come on Sunday and do it? And I'm like, yeah. And now I have a Sunday uh, event every Sunday that came
0: out of that. Which like the name is just so kick ass scream church on Sundays. Like, I love that.
1: Yeah. yeah. It doesn't get better than that. That's no, for sure.
0: I love that. Um, Okay. And so now you're pivoting a little bit. Yeah. I think that's also scary. Cause oh. I think like, yeah. did you have a moment? Cause one of the terms that we we like to use on the podcast is like burning the dish meaning yeah. like you you maybe had a failure or like didn't quite succeed in this area, but you learned something from it to create the recipe. So like for you with this pivot, was there a moment where you were like, oh, this is me like failing? Or were you just like, I need to pivot and I know that this is the next thing that's gonna make me succeed? I would say I'm like almost in that moment now. And I wouldn't
2: necessarily say failing as much as it's just like really uncomfortable. Um, I just like have been doing a lot of self work with like one of my coaches. And she said, you know, like you don't have a lot of capacity for joy. Um, you're just constantly working with people through their trauma and all this. And like, where's your capacity for joy? And I, that's why I created the sober events and like doing this is like, I, yeah, breath work and stuff. We're going to work through the trauma. We're going to find your inner child. But like, if you don't integrate it with some fun, like Mm. what's the fucking point?
0: Were you enjoying it towards the end of it?
2: Um, I mean, I still do scream church. I love scream church. I think breath work is huge. Um, especially, for recovery coaching clients because they can tap into that, um, that stuff and it's important, but it's also important to like create joy. So I still always enjoy it. Um, but I, I just like got this message so strong that Mm -hmm. was like, it's time to pivot. Mm -hmm. And, um, like I said, my coach, it's intuitive. And she was like, you gotta you gotta make a change um and like i had my first two sober events recently and i'm just so lit up afterwards and that's That's how i like it aligns is like well
0: that's exactly i remember whenever i had the idea for this podcast it was our last call yeah of our program and i remember you being like i haven't heard you this excited yep and i think that was the biggest thing where i it gave me the because i did this thing Where like I, (laughs) I do this thing where I like make up my mind about something, but I'll go to every single person Mm -hmm. and tell them and be so lit up by it, by it, and then get their reaction and see what they say. And it's not gonna like persuade me a different way. I just want to hear like what they have to say about it to almost validate me. Yeah. In this excitement and like see my vision and get there with me. And when you were like. No, I love that. Like, it just gave me a lot more of that permission to be mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to put all of my eggs in this basket. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And you're like, Lucas, we're starting a podcast and we're going to be famous <laughs> and we're going to make this happen. You have no choice. I kind
0: of bullied
2: you into it. <laughs> well, I mean, you went through like eight different ideas. Oh, yeah. In uh, like a three month coaching of what you were going to do with your That's life. That's me. <laughs> and this was the one that was just like, made the most sense.
0: Yeah. So. I want to get back to um, sobriety because there are a lot of questions that we got from Instagram. And I think like the biggest one, there was one person who was like, it's getting harder over time. How do you stay consistent and not break that streak? And I think something that you were saying earlier was like those principles kept you from coming back. So maybe like talk about maybe people who aren't in AA or something like.
1: Yeah. And I think, and I think these questions could, I think these people could really hear you just like, Coaching them. Just tell it, tell it like answering these questions. Like if I were just, you know, if we were in a session together, just being like brutal, like, you know, I think... And action.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, so if it's getting harder over time, I would definitely take a look at, like, what areas of your life are, like, bringing you joy and, like, what maybe elephants in the room that you aren't, like, dealing with in your life right now. Um, so it, I'm cur- I wish I knew more about the person, how uh-huh. long they've been sober or what was going on in their life. That might be, like, the perfect time to get a coach. So, like, even though we did it to help you to start sobriety, I'm really starting seeing an influx of people that are, like hey, I've been sober for a little while and like my life isn't, I'm not happy. I don't Mm. have joy. I don't have whatever. And that's when I, I, I suggest that would be a time to get a coach join sober, um, groups, sober softball. I mean, there's different things like that. Like what joy are you bringing in? Um, and like also intuitively I'm picking up that this person is like, like in that cycle of like, just whipping themselves into, like, more work, more work, more work, and, like, sitting in the success of, like, gratitude of how long you have been sober and, like, celebrating your sobriety and celebrating yourself um, instead of just, like, if I, I have so much work to still do, like we were talking about before this starts, like, I'm 37, I'm an empty nester, I'm, like, dating for the first time just for me instead of with a daughter, and I'm, like, I'm toxic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm toxic. There's more work Which to be kind done. Which baffles
0: me for somebody who's so intuitive and so, like, you you cut through bullshit, right? You're it's
1: like a fun. you're like a little yeah, girl. Yeah, 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 you're like yeah. a little girl again. You yeah, know? yeah. Like,
0: I'm like an 18 year old. But it's dating. where the ego comes in, and it's yeah. like hard to really get past the ego. Um, but to this question too, I think that a lot of people probably think that sobriety is like a magic pill that's yeah. going to solve all their problems. No, it's going to make them um, come to the surface. That's why I think you, what you, the way that you approach it is so great because you add in that component of spirituality yep. and emotional well-being yeah. too. Yeah. You don't ignore those things. No,
2: no, because it, because it brings it all to the surface and then you have to deal with it. And like, even this of like noticing this like toxic pattern in dating that's coming up for me, I'm like, Oh, there's more work to be done here. And so the principles, speaking on the principles, what I'm doing is like, I'm being honest no matter mm-hmm. what. So even though I like, cause in dating for myself, I want to be, I'm a salesperson. Mm-hmm. I want to like sell you, close the deal yeah. on the line, but I, I can't. So, because I have to live an honest life, I have to be honest with where I'm at
0: and vulnerable and all that, even if it's uncomfortable. Somebody asked, um, replacements for weed. What are your thoughts? I love
2: Velvet Root CBD Mm. Pre-Rolls. It's a local brand by my friend Laura. Um, So for that oral fixation, Mm -hmm. it's like herbal um, CBD rolls and a great product. So I recommend that. Um, But there's also other CBD, different um, types of things like that. Um, Sometimes, like for some people, maybe using a mocktail or a CBD pre-roll isn't the best right away because you want to maybe build your muscles into knowing that you don't need anything before adding it in um but those are some things if you're like looking for that
0: do you think in terms of like so if if it's not really really like the replacement physically i know we were talking about like coaching and and breath work and things but are there any other like self-care modalities that you think will help people with addiction specifically
2: i have to do all of them so therapy um Breath work, spirituality, working out, yoga, like I have to, journaling, meditation, finding what works for you. Yeah. Um, working
1: out was a big one for me Yeah, because my, I had to like, you know, for, what was that question? How to not break the streak? No, the, the weed oh, one. replacement for weeds. I mean my, for weeds, for the weeds. For the weeds.
0: For one <laughs> weed, we, please. The, we don't love the weeds. My big
1: replacement because... You know, that was a big, that was also not only, I mean, it was a daytime routine, but it was a huge nighttime routine Mm -hmm. because I was, you know, on at work and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't smoke in the morning every day. Like when I had client calls, yeah, no, when I had client calls and when I was on, you know, doing my actual job, I was never high, but I would get obliterated when work was over, um. And so I,
0: (laughs) sorry, I'm just thinking, I'm like talking to him like, what are we making for dinner? I'm like literally upside down.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where I changed, you know, my nighttime weed habit into like a nighttime going to the gym habit. Mm -hmm. You know, my biggest thing was how am I going to sleep? How am I going to fall asleep Mm -hmm. without getting high before going to bed? I have smoked before going to bed for years and years and years. Like, how am I going to do this? And it, 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 turned into me getting super high before bed and sleeping to doing like late night gym sessions and just working really hard at the gym and like getting physically tired at the gym where I would just get home drink a protein shake and then just because I was so physically exhausted that's what put me to sleep
2: so Amanda, how was it for you when he was smoking weed but he was home right Mm -hmm. so you might still even though he was like hi i got that reprieve after being with the kids all day running a business where then at least he was home maybe you could take a break or take a walk and then he stops and you want him to be sober but then now he has to leave the house to go do this thing Uh what was that like for you You also this is not my podcast
0: (laughs) (laughs) i love that question though because it's important yeah it's a great question but for me Anything that he does for himself, I'm his biggest cheerleader. And I don't care if that means I have to pick up the slack. Right. Like if you're, because here's the thing. When he was high, he wasn't the biggest help either. Mm -hmm. Because like you would be high and functional, but I would have to tell you to do something five times for you to actually do it. Because you you would be distracted. You wouldn't hear me. You wouldn't, you would just be like, (laughs) bless your heart. (laughs) But this man (laughs) literally, he already takes a long time to cook, right? Yeah. He would take, like, two hours to cook our dinner because he lives. He loves to cook our dinner. And so he just gets so lost and zoned in. And so when you were smoking, it would just be, like, you couldn't even, like, I couldn't talk to you while you were chopping onions because he just wouldn't hear anything. Mm-hmm. So, like, I would be, you know, the kids from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. Everyone knows that's, like, the witch, the witching hour. So I would be, like... You know, they'd be rambunctious. I'd be like having all, you would help. I would definitely like, help.
1: I mean, I'd be present, no, but you not were, present. You, at the same you time. were
0: there. You weren't there. Right. And I couldn't have a conversation with you. At the end of the day too, like you're my person. I want to like vent to you. I want to dump how I'm feeling in my stressful days and whatever. And you're just not listening. And my love language is quality time and like acts of service. So yeah, it was more like when you left to go to the gym, I loved it because you were doing something so good for yourself. And I knew that it would mean that you would show up better for me and our family. You were a really hands-on dad, but you just weren't like present. Like I knew you could be. Right. And so I think, yeah, for me, it didn't matter if you had to be out of the house. I knew you were doing something to show up better eventually. You know? Yeah.
1: And and I only, and, and then I've sort of transitioned to like not necessarily working out at night anymore. Yeah, because, because of that. Yeah, also because it you know, I really don't have that urge to, you know, smoke weed or replace it during the nighttime. Sleep. I'm able to sleep now. Mm-hmm. I sleep perfectly fine. I don't think I don't have that worry of, oh man, like what do I do? Um so now I've started, you know, I'm going to I'm starting to transition to working out in the morning and mm-hmm. now we have time after work to actually connect.
0: But here's the other thing too is like it it really wasn't It got, towards the end, it was a little like, okay, I'm doing a lot with the kids. I don't want to also do, like during the day, I don't want to also do bath and bedtime every single night. Most of the nights you would do bath and then I would put them down and you would go. So you were, like you were going later anyway. Oh, okay. It wasn't like he was gone for dinner. You were gone for dinner, but it wasn't like, like he would get off of work, cook dinner for us because he loves cooking and he's a better cook. And then he would bathe the kids and then he would go. And then then, when it was
1: like nighttime routine has started, that's when I would say, okay, babe, like I'm I'm going.
2: So you guys made
0: it work. So we made it work. We made it work. We made it work. But I also think that like it was temporary. And the fact that like I knew you were doing something that was going to help you be a better person. Like why would I not support that? And I think, I don't know. It was just, it, it wasn't hard for me to Mm -hmm. be like, yeah, go do your thing. And I think that's something that we're also, it's so rooted in our core values and why we like work is because it doesn't matter if it's that or whatever, is we are so, um, it's almost like we're, we we care so much about like preserving our individuality. Yeah. Like I think yeah. that's huge, especially having kids young. And like- I rarely see it in couples. And also like figuring have. out who we are. Mm-hmm. Like we're married, yeah, because we love each other and we we are best friends and we, you know, have two kids together, but it's so much more than that. And we're also 25-year-olds who, right. like, I want to look hot and go out with my girlfriends and, like, do my thing or, like, go to a coffee shop or work out or go on a trip. And you want to do the same thing without that meaning that we can't also have a great, healthy relationship.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, I will say you always, you've always kind of stood by me, um, you know, just kind of doing my own thing for myself. Uh-huh. Like, I think that's something that attracts that's, you find attractive.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even like when you're, when you're going to the gym, you're like, you know, you're working on your body. You're like, it's, I think for me, like you being like, nah, I'm focused. I got a goal. I'm, I'm going to do this for myself. Yeah. That is so attractive Absolutely. to me. Someone who's like, I want to figure, cause I also really value like success and ambition and drive and when I see that in somebody else I'm like
1: I'll yeah. be around you." and that was something you, know, a you preached a lot yeah. to me too you're yeah. like you need to be selfish during this time yeah. like you need to, you you cannot you know if, if you're doing something that's one positive and yeah. something to get away from the weed like you need to set Amanda straight and tell her like this is what I need you yeah. know and that's something I feel like you really preached and, and helped me kind of do as well
2: and I knew yeah. it's going to be easy because I knew her but and that that she would she would like that but also like changing your brain into thinking like okay is that an excuse to not do what I need to uh-huh. do or is it like a it, it it's a fear is it rational irrational I think it's rational why wouldn't you think your wife would it be upset for you her to have to do it all day and then all night that makes sense but if it, it's temporary mm-hmm. and if the reward is greater
0: well, I think that's also an interesting conversation that we have all the time, actually, is because he is a naturally more selfless person. Yeah. I'm a naturally more selfish person. Yeah. And I think about myself first in most situations. Yeah. And you are thinking <laughs> in about... In all
1: situations.
0: And you're thinking about every single other person, even the stranger or the right. person sitting on the bench, before you think about yourself. Right. And I think that's a very valid fear. Is yep. like, my wife is already thinking about herself, like... Can I do this? But I think you also, again, it's sexy. Like, you had, you were like, no, I'm putting my foot down. Like, I'm doing this for myself, and that's sexy, mm-hmm. you know? And it was so, it was, I mean, like, working with you guys
2: has been the biggest honor because, one, like, did the work we did, it's really intimate. Like, yeah. it's, like, definitely there's things in doing the process that we went through that you're telling me things that you might not have told anyone ever. Mm-hmm. Right. And then for you to turn around and be like, I want you to do this with my husband was like the biggest compliment mm-hmm. to me and my work. I was like, wow, like you trust me, trust me. And so then it was really nice when I would be able to tell him like, okay, this is what I think you need to do. You'd even trust me through him. Uh-huh. When, when at the end of the day, I was like, if she really has a problem, tell her to call me. I don't know. We'll <laughs> talk about it. No, but, but like, I knew she wouldn't. No, um, I, I
0: did. Cause also like, it's none of my business. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing that people fucking like don't understand is like, oh, that's why I, I don't like couples therapy. Yeah. Because it's like, why are you sitting there together working on your problems when it's so clearly a you or a you problem and like work that shit out, keep it between your therapist, like whatever. But like what you two work work on and what's said there, as long as it's making you a better human and it's for your growth, it's none of my fucking business. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't need to know. And, of course, every time you come back, I'm like, so, how'd it go? And I'm like, it went well. But at the same time, like, you're not, (laughs) you don't owe me anything. Right. right? You know? And I think that that's so important if you're being, if you're somebody who's trying to, like, support your partner is don't ask too many fucking questions. Don't push them in their journey. Don't rush them along it. Because, I mean, I probably did that. Like, don't make them
2: as you schedule his first appointment
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, schedule- She like don't push him you're seeing candace
2: tonight
1: <laughs> <laughs> a little kick in the ass, but- no, you totally did you're like I hey did. you're like hey by the way i scheduled you your first <laughs> session with candace I was <laughs> like all right because you knew i needed it and wanted it you but know
0: here's yeah. the thing once you were in her hands i knew i, I was like okay i'm hands off like right. i don't need to do anything because i trusted you <laughs> um but even the biggest thing actually I don't know if you saw it on TikTok, but I've been doing these, like, how to spice things up, like, series, and one of the things I mentioned was don't mother your husband or your partner, Mm. and it was, I, like, mentioned, I was, like, my coach that, that, like, taught me this, and it was one of the biggest things, and one of those, like, went viral. Yeah. But that's the thing, too, is, like, it's not... I I, it's not my responsibility to tell you what to do as your wife like or or mother you and like nag you it's not sexy it creates resentment on your end and it, it makes me look at you not in a way where I want to like
1: for sure you know right.
0: And that was a huge thing for me. And I I still like have to tell myself that all the time. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, I go out this past Saturday night and she's like, make sure you don't go into a car with someone who's been drinking. uh, There's ice on the road. I'm like, listen, mother. There's a difference
0: between... Like, listen, mother. Okay, no, there's a difference between... (laughs) Here's the thing, because I know what I'm doing and I know what I'm not. There's a difference between being mothering you and then being a concerned wife. And like, you were going out to a Halloween party it was the first snow of yeah. the year. I mean, yeah. I was just a little worried about the Uber. Like I was trusting you, but I was just a little nervous with the Uber. I'm just
1: giving you shit, baby. I love you.
0: <laughs> okay. I want to be on here every week. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Weekly therapy with Candace. Yeah, she's like,
2: why well, I hate couples therapy. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Going back, I think
1: couples therapy is good. I, I, I didn't did know. Too. I didn't know you had that opinion on couples therapy.
2: No, but autonomy is one of your core values mine yeah like
0: autonomy I just think there's also weird dynamics I've also had just like personal experiences with family members with couples therapy that turns me off from it and I just think there's dynamics where it's like you get in a situation where like you don't feel safe to say something yeah around your partner and it's like what help what is that honesty at the end of the day you're not going to get anywhere without honesty so if like you're not feeling safe to to be candid around your partner it's not going to work. And I think Mm -hmm. that happens in a lot of situations anyway. Um, okay. This one is interesting. What do you do when it's deeply ingrained in your family? It's like casual, but it's unhealthy. Like it's not acknowledged that it's an addiction. Like what are your thoughts? Uh,
2: well I haven't had that personally. Like my family was like, Hey, we're alcoholics and drug addicts from when I was little. So stay away from drugs. But what I see it in a lot of my clients, like family dynamics is, um, you have to choose yourself. There's that selfish piece again. So yeah. So yes, if you um, go, I'm not drinking. The first thing to people who already subconsciously think they have a problem, like, Oh, so you think you're better than us. You think, um, Oh yeah. So do you think we're an alcoholic or whatever? And like really getting over that quickly and just being like, Hey, I'm doing this for me. I actually have no opinion, but that, but that's the thing you have to not have an opinion. Yeah. Like we, we've talked about that and we're, Lucas and in our work together of like, you don't get to then assign alcoholism or addiction to other people. It's right. That's also none of your business. Yeah. Your mom's life, your brother's life, your whoever, like all make up any family member, like their choices are actually none of your business. I don't get to decide if, you know, so when, i get a client and they're like i don't think i have a problem with alcohol i don't care either way mm-hmm. like what is it you're trying to change how can i help you change and add recovery in the area you want to change yeah so doing that with your family too because the first thing people are going to do is think that you're judging them mm-hmm. and i think that leads into another question like what of your friends what was the one question yeah what
0: do you what do you how do you have a hard conversation with your friends who you didn't think would have a problem with you not drinking but do
2: their problem is. Their self. Yeah, it's projecting. They're absolutely projecting. And if if someone has a problem with you not drinking or doing drugs that is completely a them problem and then so you would need to like maybe take inventory if like that friendship is serving you at this time and it doesn't mean forever but maybe for a while you take a step back and just be like hey I'm gonna get six months under my belt before I entertain this and if people don't want to be because you, we are mirrors for each other mm-hmm. right and I think Lucas has had a great success and like then his friends they see the good in it and they want to mm-hmm. reflect that mm-hmm. yeah I'm
1: lucky in that sense yeah
2: but some people are gonna be like oh you think you're better than me now and like and that makes me so sad for that person to think that their life is set up in a way that if somebody else is having success in some kind of recovery that the first thing they think is one about themselves yep and maybe
1: it's a good opportunity to have an intimate conversation with your friend and and ask your friend if they think they may have a, a problem and maybe invite them on your sober journey
0: well. maybe <laughs> <laughs> no but I, I i mean it could i mean
2: yeah if, if you were if it was the right if you had the report, so like hey why
1: do you feel that way yeah. like, why, like why, yeah, if you yeah, could yeah. poke like, at
2: that and be like why you know, are you salty that okay. i want to be sober or just let them know that you don't judge them like right. i've had to say that a lot like hey i don't judge you you know i just reconnected with my brother and um recently and i had to explain him like i don't care what recovery looks like for you like hey he are you doing addict? better yeah like are you doing better if or if a friend's like hey i'm not on pills anymore, we're about to be on suboxone like okay i love that for you is mm-hmm. your life better yeah then i'm here i'm happy for you
1: mm.
0: this is an interesting one because i don't think it's like the obvious question but it's probably a really like i'm interested to hear what you say how did it affect your mental health to get sober but also your relationship to your body um, so for my mental health, I had to like quickly get into the self
2: work because I had so much shame. I had so much shame that I like succumbed to addiction. And, um, so I had to start doing, you know, I had a sponsor that said, if you want self esteem, do esteemable acts. Mm. So I was constantly doing things to build self esteem and Plot twist, helping other people its pretty much, like, the solution there. Um, and doing things that built that self-esteem and for myself. As far as my body goes, um, I would say the one thing that came up mostly more than, like, physical stuff is, like, my relationship to sex mm. and my body. So I like to be naked online, as you guys might be able to see. <laughs> uh, and part of that is because when I was on drugs, I don't know if you guys would believe this, I only shopped at, like, The Loft. I would have never had these nails. I had no tattoos. I remember you telling me this. I like wanted to look like a perfect mom. And you know what? I still got called a hoe. I was still a single mom, teen mom, whatever. And so when I got sober, I started reclaiming my body. And what that looked like is me expressing it any way that I want to, um, online or in person and without a care of what other people think. Um, I mean, that was a big thing in my marriage. That was an issue. I
1: remember that being super surprising to me because I look at you, you're tatted from head to toe. You have a neck tat, you know, it's like hardcore, but it's awesome. And I was like, how long have you had these tats? You're like, oh, ever ever since I got sober. And I'm like thinking, you know, you got these, you know, when you were doing drugs, so on and so forth. But no, it's like you found the confidence in yourself after, you know, getting sober. And I think that's amazing.
2: And it's not even as confident as much. It's like, hey, people are going to judge you either way. So you might as well do whatever the fuck you want. It's self-expression. Yeah. And cancer taught me that too. Like, hey... it, I'm never going to, like, go to a cancer surgery and be like, I wish I would have cleaned more. I wish my house would have been more clean. I wish I would have worked more, right? I go into a cancer surgery thinking I'm going to die, and I'm like, I wish I would have lived more freely. I wish I would have saw more shit. I wish I would have had more intimate conversations. I wish I would have told the truth of, to uh-huh. my friend that was going through a hard time. I wish – that's what I wish. So, like, it's almost it's like kind of like this YOLO attitude to my life now, but that I think is – also my secret to success in my business and whatever is people are like, how can you live so freely? And it's like, I just do because you know what? It, it doesn't actually matter at the end of the day.
0: I feel like this is a, probably a, a big thing for women who might be addicted to something or just maybe struggle with their relationship to substances because they struggle with their relationship to confidence. Maybe it's like a college thing or whatever. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people like, need to get drunk to feel sexy or like need to get drunk to have sex. So like for you, maybe if you could share some like tips for people on how to maybe reclaim their body or just like work on their body image. Right. Somatics. So breath work, scream work. Like that's the number one thing my
2: clients are getting is that like confidence Um, I have a lot of clients who've dealt with sexual assault. So like stepping back into like having sex and intimacy and relationships and just like the somatics of being able to tap in your body and to release that stuff is going to be like a surefire way. And then also um, opening up dialogue with people and talking about these things. Like I'm kind of like, the way i approach things sometimes will like shock people you know because i like sit out in front of room and i was like yeah i was raped by my stepdad at 14 and people are like and or they're like oh that makes me uncomfortable i'm like yeah imagine how i felt at 14 yeah
0: like
2: yeah if i'm gonna be uncomfortable we all should just be uncomfortable <laughs> let's go right uh and like talking about it and connecting with other people um you know I had a sponsor that uh, dared me to um she was like I would talk about it in women's meetings but I would never talk about if I was romantically interested in someone because I thought they wouldn't be interested in me so when I met my ex-husband on our first date we were two hours in and she was like you know I dare you to bring it up in your relationship she did not mean the first date <laughs> so I was like so fun fact about me is um I was raped in my child at home and he was like okay yeah, uh, yeah. I mean and we ended up getting married so it's fine but um talking about it being honest like owning my own story um has helped a lot that too and like with as far as like being sexy without drinking it's like just forcing myself Mm -hmm. just like forcing myself like I always um tell clients like take a pole class um like exposure therapy yeah um you know take some pictures even if they're just for yourself um just try something new and there's such there's like a crazy like kink world out here there's so much research and you know But yeah, I would definitely help people with that too.
0: I think it's something that even comes up a lot with like my clients, whether it's body image or not, is the hardest part for people is not the awareness piece of like, oh, I have an issue with my body or oh, I don't like my body or I have these beliefs about my body. It's the embodiment phase of like, okay, now that I know this about myself and I know that I want to change it, how do I actually do it? Mm -hmm. And I think this can go go for sobriety as well. It's like, how do you actually embody? And what I always say is, you have to just do yeah like you have to do it because that's the only way you're going to show your brain new evidence against that belief yep and so for you i mean i'm sure breath work like gets you into that embodiment yeah but like maybe other ways that you like you were saying pole dancing maybe other ways people can embody that
2: yeah so let me think pole dancing um going out like just buying the short skirt like whatever it is that you want to do like if you're my client i'd be like what is it like you don't wear a bra i don't wear a bra that's a profound thing in some people's lives in ours it's not it just is what it is um so just maybe like can you be braless around your house can Uh you go to the grocery store whatever it is that they want to embody yeah like i always like tell my clients five fi- find me five people that embody what you're trying to do and like let show me their instagrams or whatever and we can look at it and like how can we implement that into your life and like make it tangible and mm-hmm. like feel safe in
0: you doing that mm. i love that wrapping up do you have any final questions
1: i thought we covered a lot of really productive awesome things
0: I want to know maybe like your last thing that you would say to somebody who is um, feeling like they're addicted to something. They don't have that choice that we were talking about. What do you want to say to people? Just like maybe some like big takeaway that they they could run with.
2: You're not alone and you're not alone and there is no single one right way. So if you don't have the access to resources that I had at the time to go to rehab or to get a coach you know, there are resources that are more, um, cost effective or different things like that. And like finding whatever that path looks like to you. Um, you get to decide what recovery looks like and don't let anybody else, um, decide what it looks like and find people that are going to support you on that journey, no matter what it looks like.
1: Love that. There's
0: not one recipe to sobriety.
1: (laughs) There's a lot. Where can people find you? What do you want to plug in right now? What's coming Tell, up for you? How can people What's hire for me? How can people <laughs> how can people hire you, work with you, find you, let yeah. the people know?
2: Uh, so my Instagram is Screamwork uh, S-C-R-E-A-M-W-E-R-K. Um, and also Screamwork.co is my website. Um, I do have some spots open right now for either recovery coaching or business coaching. Um, we have scream church every single Sunday. You can um, find me on Instagram to find out more information about that. And I am also always hosting sober events. Thanks so much, Candace. Thank you for having me. I love you both so much.
0: <laughs> love you. <laughs> Perfect. You didn't say your line.
1: We are 86th. <laughs> this episode is 86th. <laughs> do